welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer and editor in Los Angeles. And for another quarantine episode, I am joined by my two co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So there's not really much going on in pop culture news uh, lately that's not kind of on the depressing side so uh to keep think to keep matters uh more on the escapist side we're de- we decided to bring back a recurring feature of ours that we've done a couple times before on this podcast it's been called a few different things required reading summer homework assignments based on uh just the time that it has been released but mostly it's just a feature in which we uh the three of us recommend each other a a movie that the other two haven't seen before so um the i'll i'll start things off with uh with mine um, so this time, I recommended a movie called Bad Genius. It's a Thai heist thriller directed by Natawut Punpiria. I'm sorry for mispronouncing all the names in here. And it follows a group of students uh, in high school who decide to um, cheat a test, uh, a standard test that is taken throughout the country, and uh, sell the results to make money uh, and it kind of it starts off as a sort of small money making scheme between two genius between a genius level student and her sort of higher up privileged richer friends and she ends up being sort of a uh, this almost dealer of uh, of of correct answers for tests and uh, she goes on this huge scheme to cheat the biggest test in Thailand and so it's um it's a, it's a film that you might have heard the premise to before with the movie the perfect score but it's definitely i just i was thinking of the perfect score the entire time with yes. this movie literally i was thinking of like the perfect score except that all these like american like college like lying movies and i was like wow this is so much better than anything we've ever come up with it is so much better it's so much more intense it's it approaches this sort of silly premise from a much more serious, heist-minded um, mindset. And uh, it's actually based off of a true story, as far as I know. So it's um, it's not completely, but it's inspired by. Um, and it's fantastic. But I want to know what you guys thought of it. Um, <laughs> Anya, do you want to go first? I mean, I think you want me to go first. <laughs> Anya gave so, us a reaction in our in our group chat about in it. real time. Yes. I, at first, at first, I did we didn't know what movie she was talking about, and then she said bad genius. She said the movie that we were watching, Bad Genius, and I was I had not watched it at the, t- at the time of this, these messages. So I was preparing myself for something intense. I mean, it well, it's a very intense movie. But Anya, why don't you give her a, a play by play reaction of, of of what was going on with you with that? I did. I should state first off that I cry very easily um, at anything, but especially when it comes to like movies, like I cry a lot in movies, like little things in movies can get me going. Like I just get emotional when I watch movies. It's, it's part of why I love them. Um, I cried at the end of Parasite a lot. So uh, HT was not so surprised. I think that I got emotional watching Bad Genius. Um, but I just, I, I love the thriller heist aspect of it, which comes more into play at the like second half of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of less emotional then. But I was surprised in the first half of the film, especially 
just how sort of poignant the commentary on class was and poverty and wealth disparity. Um, and uh, we will be getting into spoilers for all these films, so I'm just going to put that out there now. We're not going to warn you guys again. Um, but after the first, like, big cheating moment, which is at the school, not the big test, um, she is called into the into the principal's office, basically, and uh, is, you know, reprehended, reprimanded for cheating, um, which, understandable. But then you think about the fact that, like, why she's doing this and, like, the check that the school sent her father to pay uh, that was not revealed to them at the beginning or not revealed to her and her father kept it from her. And the strain that, you know, students feel you know, their parents sacrificing so much to kind of make their dreams come true. I think it also hit, like, a little close to home for me. Like, I, I've i always been sort of, like, comfortably middle class, but, you know, my parents and I have had more than, you know, one moment of financial hardship very vividly, especially with college, um, the stress I felt of how expensive college is and my parents saying, you know, like, we'll make it work, we'll make it work, like, we'll do anything for you, like, this is your future, but, you know, the stress I felt of, like, okay, but your lives matter, too, and you can't just give up everything for me, and I cried more than once in high school and in college about, like, the cost of things, um, and so I got surprisingly emotional about this movie and about, like, the kind of the bullshit that is the education system, and, you know, wealth disparity and, you know, just how poor people are looked down upon. And it got to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the heist aspect was really fun. And I thought the movie was brilliant and the acting was great. But, yeah, uh, also very emotional. Yeah, the setup is very much rooted in the class divides and class disparity in Thailand. And I think a lot, through a lot of... Uh, Southeast Asian and East Asian countries um, that we see in a lot of films lately, a lot of modern contemporary films um, that haven't really been uh, tackled in American films, I, I would say, especially in sort of more of the, the fun heist teen movies that we get in America. And um, I like, too, that it never really loses sight of that class division um, because... Um, what I didn't explain in the synopsis is that the the main character, uh, played by uh, oh shoot her name is very uh, I'm very sorry for butchering her name, Chutiman uh I'm gonna just say her first name best known as Lynn in the 2017 film Gen uh, Bad Genius, she's actually a model, uh so she is a character um who come who is impoverished and she basically earns a scholarship to go to this private um, uh, elite school uh, because of her academia, but finds that she actually has to um, I, I pay her way through or something or like try to supplement uh, her, her, her father not being able to pay for it entirely. And she does that by, you know, uh, she... Uh, giving answers to her richer friends. And we see later on when, like, she is, it's her dream to still, like, get to college and everything, but her friends are just kind of partying off and living their glamorous lives of luxury. Um, but it's really interesting, too, that, like, she goes through almost like a Breaking Bad type of arc because at the beginning she's very much a good 
student and wouldn't even fathom cheating. And then she kind of gets wise to the whole system, um, which is a really interesting arc to see. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love that that was your reaction. I actually was a little bit surprised that it was so emotional because I was like, oh, it was a, it's a good movie, but I don't remember it being like quite so emotional. But um, I'm glad that you ha- were connected so, to, so deeply to it. And um, yeah, it's, it is fantastic. And uh, the first half, like I think both halves are, are excellent, but the first half kind of really sets up a different tone to the second half for sure. Yeah, definitely. Willoughby, how did you feel? I'm feeling you were not quite as emotional as I was, but what are your thoughts on the film? Yeah, I definitely was not as impacted in the same exact way, but I understand, like, I sympathize and I empathize with those feelings. Uh, Like, especially, like, one of the the students gets a real, like, gets into a, a bad scrap um, and sort of loses a lot um, in like the in the in the middle of the movie, and uh, he's sort of the emotional crutch of the entire film, I'd say. Um, and but like the movie itself is really really good. It's w- incredibly well made. I think it, it it has that thriller heist feel to it without uh, like it, it it. But it's about high school students like taking tests and cheating on the tests. But like there's more um, like the the filmmaking is done so well in a way that like I was so enraptured by like how how they how are they getting away with this? How are they going to like do it? And like the editing is so perfect and like the camera work is so crisp that you, you sort of understand you you understand exactly what's going on in the scenes, but also the emotional like like going like goings on. And it's just sort of it throws you into it. And like when there's a moment where piece of toilet falls and breaks in the stall and I like let out a gasp even though I had I had my headphones on because my girlfriend was on the phone with with her friends like having sort of like a like chatting and sewing at the same time so I was I was a respectful boyfriend I put headphones on and listened to it on on the ps4 and at one point the yeah the toilet falls the toilet like the thing at the top of the toilet falls and breaks and I let out this like humongous gasp and I was like <gasps> and I was just like oh my god what's happening and this movie this movie like I, I I wouldn't say got me emotional even though I understood the emotions like uh, I was very much in, enthralled by the by like the heist parts of it um and really like was taken aback by how well done it was all it it all was um so and like yeah the acting so stylish the acting was really really good um i feel like everybody was was like in tone like every like every everybody was in the same movie like sometimes you get a a heist movie and there's like the like in the perfect score there's like the one stoner dude there's like chris evans and scarlet like everyone sort of disparate and they're they're not really like they all come together to do this one thing um or like any of the oceans movies there's always like the wild character that's like a little bit more different than everyone else but like this movie had like everybody was like keeping tone like really well done like it and like the stakes that were there the emotional stakes the stakes of the heist and like it was all it was all great but like it, it but then it also shifted tones in a way like there were funny moments there were harsh moments like it all worked so well in in such a like well-executed movie. I'm really glad that you chose this to for us to watch, HT. Yeah, I'm glad you guys liked it. It was excellent, yeah. All right, uh, Willoughby, why don't you go next and introduce your movie that you chose for us? 
Sure, I chose a completely different movie. 100% like, I'd say like the opposite. I chose The Rocketeer, Joe Johnston's movie from 1991. It's a Disney movie. It's, a star, it's about a cocky stunt pilot in love with a beautiful actress. And he discovers a jetpack hidden in a biplane. And he becomes the Rocketeer. He becomes a hero. And he has to stop the Nazis from invading America in the ni- in 1938. Uh, and it's really, really fun. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's a Disney movie. And it, it, I, yeah, I mean, I really, I, I've only seen this movie a couple of times, a couple of times in, in, on TV, like in the past. And then it was on Amazon uh, a couple months ago and I watched it and I was just like, oh, this is a, like a really fun movie. Um, but what did you guys think of The Rocketeer? Oh, I should say it stars Billy Campbell, Jennifer Connelly, and Timothy Dalton. Those are and uh, Al- Alan Arkin. They're, they're the three stars, the four yeah, stars. I was, I was very excited to see Alan Arkin there. I was like, oh, it's Alan. Oh, and um, oh, t- what's his name? Locke from uh, uh, Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn is Howard Hughes. Howard Terry Hughes is Howard Hughes. Sorry, Hi, my apologies. Terry, Sorry, he, 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 I was just thinking he's not in the, the entire movie, time he was there. He's not in the movie as much as the other characters, but he does have a very, he's very impactful. And I will say, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Terry O'Quinn are both perfect actors to play Howard Hughes at different times in their life. Like, I'm just, it was just like, wow, holy crap. Yes, <laughs> yes. the eccentric inventor. Yes. But um, I had never seen uh, The Rocketeer before, and I'd only heard of it, they actually... Vaguely, I think I only heard of it uh, starting recently because it never really was on my radar, even as a child. I'm not really sure why. I guess I just kind of missed the boat on it. Um, and I, I think there was a sort of resurgence, resurgence in nostalgia for it recently. So I kept seeing it on Twitter and on Tumblr a, a couple times. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of this movie before. But um, you're not again. Yeah, because the Nazis are back. Um, yeah, the the final scene with the Nazis in particular was going viral quite a bit. Um, but I really enjoyed this movie. I can totally see why Joe Johnson was uh, picked to direct Captain America, the first Avenger, because this is like a prototype uh, for... It's the same movie. It's, it's basically the same movie. It I'm really like, is. He basically created a superhero origin story inspired by the serials of the 30s and 40s and 50s. And he captures that nostalgic, retro-futuristic element really well and sort of the cheesy sentimentality that goes with it. Um, it's, a solid, it's a solid superhero movie. I have to say, I wasn't uh, taken with the lead. I... <laughs> He was oh. just kind of generic <laughs> leading Campbell, guy, number he's one. A wet noodle. <laughs> yeah, um, and I could, but I could see like, oh, this is why Chris Evans has the exact same haircut in Captain America. <laughs> and um, it did bother me a little bit how much the film objectified Jennifer Connelly, who still looks like a teenager um, and like the same age as she did in Labyrinth, just like more curvaceous. And they really lingered on that. I was like, okay, Joe Johnson, settle down now. But I I enjoyed this film quite a bit. And, you know, even the third act twist with the Nazis, where it's just like suddenly Nazis, it all feels very in line with the the Americana serial feeling of it. And, uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I think it was a solid superhero uh, family film. And I really enjoyed just, like, the appearances from various character actors of – Beloved character actors of then and now, including Alan Arkin, Terry O'Quinn, um, was 
who who's the act was it Margot? Not Margot Martindale. It was an actress who I Yeah, I it was Margot Martindale. It was Margot Martindale. I was like, that's Margot Martindale, isn't it? Also, the singer at the club is Melora Hardin, who plays Jacqueline in The Bold Type, which is probably only exciting to me, but I was very yeah, excited to see Melora very specific Hardin. to you. I do not know any of those things. Super but niche. I love B- Melora Hardin, and when she showed up as a singer, I was like, oh my god, it's young Jacqueline. <laughs> I was very excited. But yes, I, I enjoyed it, and uh, Timothy Dalton is playing his very classic mustache-trolling villain. Ooh. You're not even ready for what I have to say about Timothy Dalton. Oh, oh goodness. Oh, my. Um, but yeah, uh, well, we should say before Anya gets too into that, he is the Nazi spy who is also playing, like, the devilish, devil-may-care actor um, in this movie who who uh, Jennifer Connelly is sort of somewhat smitten by. Um, but then, And then it turns out he's a Nazi, and then she's like, fuck that. You know what occurred to me as I was watching this? that Hail Caesar has the same plot twist as uh, The Rocketeer. And I enjoyed The Rocketeer's <laughs> plot twist better. I did not really like Hail Caesar. I'm sorry. Hail Caesar is not, not a good, a good movie. movie. Yeah. It's not okay. a good movie. Good, good. Anyways, that's movie. all I have to say. I like The Rocketeer. I'm glad that you chose it, Willoughby. Yeah. Anya, what do you think of The Rocketeer? I feel like this this movie sort of is also up your if up your alley with um, yeah. sort of yeah, I really heroics and really Hollywood it. Um, and everything. Yeah, I mean, I have a big soft spot for, like, really earnest 90s action-adventure films. I mean, people crucify me for this, but my favorite Robin Hood is still Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. Like, I can't help it. It's the one I grew up on, and I love the earnestness of that movie and Alan Rickman. And I also love Three Musketeers from the 90s. Like, I love... That's one of my favorite, like, sub-genres of movies. Um because I grew up on them so much, and it really instilled a sense of, like, romanticism in me. Um, and The Rocketeer absolutely has that. And I thought it was really charming and fun. I especially love the score by James Horner. You can hear so much Titanic in this film. Oh, yeah, like, was he was so really working those horns. I, there were so many times where I was like, this, these are the exact notes that he's going to use in a few years for Titanic. <laughs> I yeah, was the like, thing about like James Horner... Score. James Horner, if I may... Uh, interrupt for just a second. James Horner, uh, may he rest in peace. He was he he's a he's a legendary uh, score composer. Uh, if you listen to all his his scores, they all have like various like he's like it's like John Williams. Like any good composer, sort of has like their like their you can you can tell when it's like a Hans Zimmer score or a John Williams score. And James Horner has like that sort of ethereal but still triumphant mixed like sound. And I think that that comes into play really well here in the Rocketeer. It does. It does. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, as much as, you know, Cliff is like a wet noodle, as Willoughby so aptly described him, I really like the relationship between Cliff and Peeve, I think. Is that his name? Yeah. His, like, mentor? I believe so. Peevy. Um, yeah, yeah, I really like that relationship. Like, I, I love a good mentor in a story, you know. Uh, I was terrified at one point that he was going to die, and I was like, do not do this to me, Joe Johnston. I was like, no. you did it to Stanley Tucci? Yeah, I was going to say, he's the Stanley Tucci character. He he's did, the it's guy. true. He did it to Stanley Tucci, but luckily he did not do it to PV. Um, it's really interesting, because um, this is basically the precursor to Captain America, but I thought this was actually better directed than Captain America. I don't think Joe Johnston directed Captain America, the first Avenger, well at all. Um, so I was like, Joe Johnston, what happened? Like, this was this is better than Captain America. I agree. I think this is tighter um, than Captain America because Captain America has like one too many montages. And oh, it's, well, just, it's that yeah. movie. Yeah, Captain America I mean, has 
has has the misfortune of having been rewritten and like yeah changed to like fit into being an avengers prequel for yeah. for steve so i think like there's that but I, I mean yeah the third act sort of is just montage after montage but i think i'm the mo- i think i'm the one person here who like likes captain america the first avenger like out of all of us or the most i, I, I like, like it, it the most i like it i don't love it yeah i'm sure. in the same boat i like it i enjoyed it but um i wouldn't re i mean i i feel like i'd enjoy it upon rewatch but uh not any more so than I did the first time. You know what I mean? Like, and it's a now fine you've movie. seen yeah. a better version of it with the Rocketeers. So exactly. now you're like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yes, so sorry. I keep interrupting. I'm, I apologize so much. No, 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 okay. no, no. I know. I love how excited you are about this movie, and like, I love that you assigned it because I've known about the Rocketeers since I was a kid, but had just never gotten around to watching it. So I'm glad I finally seen it because it's such a like, a, he's such a big Disney icon, um, and so I'm glad I finally like know the Rocketeer. Um, but I would like to talk to you guys about our Lord and Savior Timothy Dalton. Oh, <laughs> Timothy Dalton, who is one of our most underrated actors to ever exist. He is one of the best James Bonds. I will fight anyone who tries to argue with me on that front. He is a great James Bond. Come at me, film bros. Timothy Dalton. I haven't seen either of the films, so. Timothy I haven't Dalton seen his films either. He's a perfect actor. He's hysterical in Hot Fuzz. I love him he is so, so much. Hot Fuzz. I love this actor. I love him whenever he shows up in things. The biggest flaw of the Rocketeer is that he plays a Nazi because I would make out. (laughs) I would make out with Neville Sinclair so fast, like over Cliff. Like, oh my God, Neville Sinclair. Oh yeah, for sure over Cliff. He's like, he's like this Hollywood star. Oh, so like dapper, like knows Clark Gable has that scene saying hi to Clark in like the seaside club. So dreamy. Oh, young Timothy Dalton can like get it. I mean, Timothy Dalton now can also get it. Um, and then he ended up being Nazi. And I was like, that's a deal breaker. Like I can't, ugh, I can't in good conscience. bit of a deal breaker. Be attracted to him in this movie because he plays a Nazi, but it's so frustrating because, oh, Timothy Dalton. And you know what? We just, we deserve to see Timothy Dalton in heroic roles. Where you can be romantic and be sexy and not be a bad guy, even though he's really good at being a bad guy. Oh, guys, I really love Timothy Dalton. He's so underrated. I thought, I thought you didn't like bad guys on I don't like bad guys. <laughs> I like Timothy Dalton. <laughs> so that's, underrated. That's what she's saying is that because he turned out to a bad guy, she conflicted like about that because other, up till that point, she was smitten by. I was, what a dreamy, like, actor, and I was, like, the whole time he was very slimy and skeevy, and the whole time he was, like, had his own agenda, so I was, like, I didn't, like, like him, but I was, like... Even before it turned out to be he was a Nazi, he was still, like, a bad dude. He was still a bad bad dude. But the thing is, the thing is, is, like, making out with, like, sleazy 1930s Hollywood star Timothy Dalton does not mean I have to, like, marry him or, like, condone him. Like, it just means I get to make out with him. Like, so in the in the in the in the F Mary kill, it's F. Oh until, my God, a hundred percent. Until he's a Nazi, and then it's kill. And then it's kill. You can do all three of them. Well, no, not you can't marry him. Oh yeah, I guess not. I mean, marry him for his riches, never, and then kill him. He'll never settle. He'll never settle down. Ugh, ugh, I beg to differ. Rude, Willoughby. No, what I'm saying, <laughs> he, no, what I'm saying is that he's he he. he He's not. He he won't. He he can't pick one. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Challenge accepted. So Hear anyway. that, Timothy Dalton, avid listener of the Millennial Falcon. 
listen, guys, I have genuine feelings about this movie and how earnest and delightful it is and how cheesy it is um, and what a actually terrible, boring protagonist Cliff is. But I just love Timothy Dalton so much. And I just think he's so underrated. Like, still to this day, I think he's just an underrated actor who, whenever he shows up in movies, we're always like, man, Timothy Dalton, like in Hot Fuzz and stuff. We're just like, man, he's so great. And then I'm like, cool. So why aren't we talking about him more? Why aren't we like saying what a great actor he is. I'm like, why is he one of the least popular James Bonds? Justice for Timothy Dalton. That's what yes. I have to say about all of this. So we can add Timothy Dalton to the list, the growing list of men that uh, Anya will, so from from here on forth, uh, just rave about on the Millennial Falcon. Oh. So that's, uh, you know, Dan Stevens, number one. Uh, Kendall Roy, number two. Uh, ben Solo, number three. Timothy Dalton, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's I'm so missing funny. a few. It's so funny because like, you have these guys that I've like rant, uh, raved about on the podcast, but it's like, I, you're, we're like, why haven't I raved about my like top two men? Oh yeah, Rafe. Like, my, Rafe Fiennes and James McAvoy are my top two forever and ever. They always will be. But I think it's just there's so, there's there's such constants in my life that I don't feel the need to like rave about them all the time because like they're not like a passing fancy. They are like, they have like been with me since like middle school. And they have always been at the top. So, like, they are just constants in my life. Oh, Anya, did you see that James McAvoy download, uh, not downloaded, uh, donated a couple hundred dollars to the NHS uh, sort of medical equipment? Yeah. yeah. He's so good. He's, he's so good. good. He's a good boy. Uh, I saw him in Cyrano de Bergerac recently, and he's fucking brilliant. He's so good. Before the, so- uh, before coronavirus, I hope. Uh, well, yeah, I saw I, the the they screened the play of Cyrano uh, in theaters, and I saw it back in February. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and he's very good. All right. Well, now that we finished <laughs> our talk about Anya's boys, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Willoughby. <laughs> Anya, okay. what what uh, what movie did you recommend us this week? Yeah, so I sort of cheated in that I gave my co-hosts um, some options. Um, I really wanted to share a piece of me with my co-hosts and movie genres that are really important to me. And so I gave them the choice to choose either a period drama or a musical, which are two genres of movies that I really love. They both chose musical. I then gave them a list of some movie musicals that I really love or think um, have some specialness in them. Um, And, you know, those lists included like Cabaret, Guys and Dolls, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. They ended up choosing West Side Story, which is, a beautiful classic movie musical um, loosely based on Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And I have to wonder, did you guys lean towards West Side Story so you will have seen the original before Spielberg's comes out? Was that part of your reasoning? Kind of. But bit. also I, I'd never bit. seen West Side Stories and I've yeah. always wanted to see it. It's, and a, it's classic. a movie that no, I felt I like have. was big, was, was uh, missing from my film repertoire. for sure for sure it is a, it is a classic um but i had a feeling that the whole since spielberg is remaking it that's like part of it and i'm very curious for his remake um i will say he already has a leg up on the original just in the fact that he casts like an actual puerto rican actress to play maria in his film whereas natalie wood who is was... very white uh, oh boy, played maria in was... the original yeah that was really that was really funny when uh yeah all uh, like half of the puerto rican quote-unquote uh characters in that were mostly just greek actors in brownface yeah it's not, not great, great I mean, the, the best the best side um they're the best like person 
um, in the original is by far uh, Rita Moreno. Yeah. It will be in Steven Spielberg's remake, um, but she is iconic in this movie. So, like I said, this movie is a adaptation of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. It uh, is about these two rival factions, the Sharks and the Jets, uh, one of which is these, like, white Italian, like, New York boys and girls, um, and they have, like, a turf war going on with these uh, Puerto Rican immigrants. Um, and in, in the midst of this rivalry, we have Tony from the side of the, like, the New Yorkers, and we have Maria, who's Puerto Rican. They fall in love. Um, and, you know, can their love uh, help these two rival gangs find some peace between them? Um, and in the midst of all that, it's also a musical. So it's fantastic. Um, and like I said, Natalie Wood uh, stars as Maria, Richard Beimer as Tony, but Rita Moreno as Anita is the best part of the film by far. Um, so what did you guys think for having seen West Side Story for the very first time? Willoughby, why don't you go first? So this is like the movie musical, right? Like this is like, it's got everything that you that people want in a movie musical. And it's from like the early, it's like the 50s. So like, I feel like this is like the golden age movie musicals. It's got people in like flashy colors and they're, they're widescreen shots of them all dancing together uh, in, in uh, what's not the, what uh, at the same time, what simultaneous, it's like. In sync. Try to think of, in sync. They're all in sync. They're all doing the same thing. It's like, and they're not cutting away. It's very much different than like, other movie musicals that shall not be named where like, you know, they're not really dancing or they're not really singing. Um, and I feel like this movie is sort of like, it's like, and it's got every song that every song in this movie is like, has been in, in, into, has seeped into our cultural lexicon of like songs that are sung and like heard throughout pop culture. And I'm just like, Oh, this like, it all goes back to this movie. I feel like, and it's such an epic. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I I liked it. I thought it was like incredibly well done. The uh, all the acting, all the acting and dancing and everything was there. Like it didn't, and nothing ever seemed too over the top. Um, even though it is very stylized and very heightened, because um, it is basically Romeo and Juliet as a musical set in the '50s about youths in New York City. Um, but yeah, it's it's very good. I really liked it. I'm so glad that makes me really happy because I know you guys like we talked last week about how like musicals are a big part of my life and you guys are a little less familiar with them than I am and so I'm just really excited that I got to share this with you and you got to see like such a classic um and that you liked it um and yeah that in sync like the choreography in this movie is that's like, the word I'm kiss. looking for sorry it's been a long day of work and I, I don't have words anymore I'm you're all good so but I that apologize for misspeaking all over this episode beautiful <laughs> I love a good dance battle. Oof. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but I've, I've seen my fair share of classic Hollywood movie musicals. Uh, I love Singing in the Rain, uh, Guys and Dolls. So I actually was caught a little bit by surprise by how stylized West Side Story was and how almost, how almost avant-garde at, po- at points it was. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the lighting is so saturated. It almost feels like a, uh, oh, uh, shoot. What's the director of Suspiria's name? Oh. Uh, uh, Guadagnino? No. no uh, the other oh, one. the original yeah. Suspiria. Yes. Oh, 19... God. Um, 
Uh, Argento. Dario Argento. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So the saturation is is just so is so bright and vibrant. Uh, it, it reminded me almost like a Dario Argento film or something out of like a new wave film. And the transitions that you see in which, for example, this, the transition from uh, Maria to dancing in her in her dressing room to the dancing hall, it like goes to all red. And it seems like something out of an experimental film. And I was very taken aback, but I really liked it because it, it was a, unlike a lot of the classic Hollywood musicals I'd seen. Like it has your classic Broadway, um, big sweeping musicals with the choreography and the wide shots and just the, uh, the general grandeur of it all. But it also takes its own stylish uh, sort of flares. Directors Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise. I haven't seen anything by them before, but I was I was quite impressed. And I just, um, I really liked it. It kind of, it gave it an otherworldly quality uh, that I, I really enjoyed. So yeah, it, it this 19, uh, 1960s, I guess it was taking a few cues from maybe European cinema in some way, in a way that like kind of bucked the traditional Hollywood musical in uh, uh, in many ways. It, it was really interesting. And I, I will say, uh, this is another case of the leads being sort of a limp noodle. Um, I love Natalie Wood. I think she's beautiful. Uh, but she and um, Richard Paymer are kind of the, the least interesting parts of this movie. They have, you know, Absolutely. the ballads. And they sing really sadly. And uh, they're, the, whoever dubs them... Uh, does a really great job of dubbing them uh but Rita Moreno is so fun and she's so uh magnetic and charming and I think she's one of the few I think she and like a few of the other female uh actresses who are playing the Puerto Ricans are like the people of color on this everyone else is kind of vaguely ethnic yep. Natalie Wood is Russian so it was really funny just to see like how they cast They're like oh yeah Puerto Rican Russian people will do right <laughs> I met uh, right, people totally. they're Mediterranean they have olive skin um, but yeah, Rita Moreno is great, and um, I was just really fascinated by and really excited by just the um, the stylish uh, flares that the directors added to this, and um, the streetwise tone to Romeo and Juliet. I'd never seen this musical before. Uh, I knew some of the songs. I knew Maria. I knew Feel Pretty. I knew uh, um, America, I think, and um, mm-hmm. the uh, one of the, the that boy one, the boy one. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Boy? Is that what it's called? I honestly forget. Yes. Maybe. I, I knew of these songs, so, like, the, the tunes are familiar, but seeing them, like, in staged as they are um, so imaginatively, and I really loved seeing sort of the balcony scene recreated on a fire escape. I think that was such a fun, really uh, imaginative touch. Um, yeah, it's great. West Side Story is so good. And actually, uh, seeing this, I kind of wonder how Steven Spielberg can improve upon it because it already does so much um different than the classic Hollywood musical and everything is on a soundstage so it has that sort of uh artificial feeling to it as well and I know that I think from what we saw with of, of Spielberg's version he's doing it on sound stages as well but the artifice that we get in this I feel like will be different than what we'll get with the new Spielberg film so I don't know yes. Yeah, so I, I really liked it. I, I was very, very taken with uh, just the experimental art house nature of this movie. For yeah, sure, I was surprised sure. by that too. I was the, 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 like the transitions and whatnot. I was like, and especially the lighting. I was like, oh yeah, this, this, this is more complicated than I thought it was going to be in terms of the filmmaking. I was, I was rather, yeah, again, taken aback by it. 
Can I ask you guys, um, how much more devastating is this movie than the original Romeo and Juliet text? Uh... Good question, because it's I'm been not, about 15 years since I've read Romeo I'm and Juliet. More like a, I'm asking more in a sense of, like, I think objectively West Side Story is more devastating um, yes. because one of them survives and because... Yeah. And because, uh, like, Tony dies because one of Maria's, like, family members shoots him. Yeah. Whereas in Romeo and Juliet, it's all Romeo and Juliet's own, like, decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and they end up dying together, which is tragic and devastating, but far less, I think, than West Side Story where Maria has to now live with her grief over Tony. That's a good point. And yeah, it, it does it does make more of an impact. I think just the, the socio-political factors of this movie and of the, of the play itself make it uh, more topical and more just um, affecting than the original, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's, it's such a universal story that you can graft any sort of um, new premise or concept onto it but yeah I really enjoyed like I was saying like the fire escape thing that kind of speaks to the larger New York playground of it all and um I I really like the sociopolitical themes and I uh but it is kind of interesting because when it was made in the 60s Italians were still kind of considered immigrants and not quite the American um persona non grata like as as they are like now they're still they're kind of they're not really like the uh, outsider they, as they now as they are were back then. So I wonder how that will play in modern times. But it that well, when you that have the someone like are great. when you have someone like Ansel Elgort uh, playing your lead, you may not have to worry about that part because he's pretty white. <laughs> and that is Elgort. very true. Um, yeah, no, I think this. Uh, the, yeah, the, the 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 impact, the changing around the ending of, I guess, the Romeo and Juliet text to make this um, uh, different in how Maria survives. So I was sort of like, oh, wow, I was like, this really ends on a downer, doesn't it? I thought maybe because it's like this big, glamorous Hollywood musical that they actually will survive because I at, at least at the up until the point where until he gets shot, I thought they were because they were like together. And I was like, "Oh, that's yeah, different." You, know, you think you, so, and uh, then, and and you know, I think that's a sort that's sort of like a, a a really interesting move by the filmmakers' part to sort of switch things up and change it. And yeah, I, I, it's uh, uh, it's sad. Um, and I was sort of like taken aback because I was like, "Oh, you know, people, you know." But then I guess that's sort of the. The, the sticking point like the the nature of the of this story is that it's supposed to end in tragedy um but i do i appreciate the changes um i will say uh no hawaiian shirts and no no uh, guns called swords um so I... couple couple notches off that and no no aquarium scene i mean i have to um, agree like and no, paul Harold... no paul rudd I, I do think no no harold perno harold, harold perno is so good is the best so part of camp. romeo plus Juliet. I, I actually, I still will say Romeo plus Juliet, Boz Lerman's Romeo plus Juliet is my favorite Romeo and Juliet adap- uh, ma- big screen oh, adaptations. A hundred percent But well, I really like West Side Story. What about Romeo and Juliet? Nomi, what about oh, Nomi and Juliet? I forgot. Oh, and, and starring your favorite boy, Anya. I know. I was going to say James McAvoy has played Romeo. Excuse you. <laughs> um, but uh, one thing that, well, Rebecca, friend of the pod, made an interesting remark about during when we were watching West Side Story. She's seen it 
plenty of times before too but we're talking about the original Romeo and Juliet text and um speaking about the roles the gender roles that Romeo and Juliet play I'm sure you know this already Anya but this is something that uh, I recently came to learn in that um, they were kind of an inversion of the traditional gender roles and that uh, Romeo was generally was more romantic and shared the qualities that were typically uh, attributed to women so he was the romantic he was uh, prone to emotional outbursts he was the one who generally tended to think more with his emotions rather than his logic whereas Juliet was more logical and even the way that they killed themselves uh, Romeo with poison the woman's weapon and Juliet by stabbing herself uh, with the very the sword the dagger which isn't generally pretty phallic uh, is part of that reversal and I thought yeah. that was so interesting you don't get that in West Side Story but I love you that. do not. Tony mm-hmm. is definitely a man, and Maria yeah. is a very feminine woman. She um, has a whole song called "I Feel that. Pretty." Um, she does indeed. But what I do actually really like about West Side Story is that it's not really Romeo and Juliet. Like it has the Romeo and Juliet. Um, it follows all the beats of Romeo and Juliet, but the story itself is much more focused on the sharks versus the jets. And I found myself mm-hmm. more invested in that story than the love story of uh, Tony and Maria. And I was so interested in that because usually Romeo and Juliet, any telling, it's just mostly about them and everything right. else is the backdrop. And here they're kind of just, uh, they're kind of a part of a, a small part of this big puzzle and this right. big West Side tapestry. Story, right, West Side Story basically asks like, right, Romeo and Juliet are two individual people, but like, Beyond their deaths, like the rivalry between the Capulets and the Montagues will continue, mm-hmm. and it existed before Romeo and Juliet, and it will exist after them. So, like, that is a much bigger, you know, story. And West Side Story basically says, What about them? What about everyone else involved in this, like, rivalry mm-hmm. other than the Star Cross lovers? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. West Side Story, a good movie. I'm sure it's a hot <laughs> take out there. <laughs> I think we all watched good movies this week. That was a, we we, this was a good good assignment from yeah. everyone. We'll probably be bringing this feature back a couple more times as this quarantine stretches on. But uh, if you guys, you listeners out there, want to uh, share in trying to see these new movies with us, or if you guys have any recommendations for us, tweet us too. But before you do that, why don't we go into the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. So, Willoughby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? I've been listening nonstop to Dua Lipa's new album, uh, Future Nostalgia, I believe it's called. Um, and yeah, I've been it's on, been on a loop on on my work playlist on just over the weekend playing Animal Crossing. Uh, it's really good. Uh, she's got a great voice, and I love like the synth pop sort of '80s uh, like nostalgia, I guess. Um, uh, like, uh, what am I trying to say? Like uh, fused in with like modern pop stuff, um, and it's all it's all really good. It's um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. I, I, all the singles that she's released have been really good, and the album itself is is a uh, uh, really listenable. Sounds uh, reductive, but like I could just listen to it on nonstop and like I totally sort of, agree. Like, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Some of her some uh, of her tracks remind me a lot of Lily Allen, which I love. Um, and I I'm love. Not, I have not listened to Lily Allen, so I don't know. Uh, well, oh. They're very oh. similar in some of the tracks, and these two British 
pop girl, so. Interesting. Lily Allen is almost, I remember associating her very much with sort of that quirky uh, mid-2000s time. Oh, yeah. It was very, Mm -hmm. I liked her. It was very chill listening. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this album is so great, Willoughby, I agree. I haven't listened to the full album yet, but I do know that one of her tracks, Physical, she did a collaboration with a K-pop star. I don't know if the track on the album is the the K-pop collaboration. It's just hers? Uh, no, it's just her. Okay. She, there's no, no one guys, else. You guys should listen to it because it's a collaboration with this uh, singer named Hwasa, who is part of the girl group Mamamoo, and she has a fantastic voice. One of the best voices in uh, the K-pop industry, actually. She has like this really husky, deep voice, and I love her. And uh, she's also one of the, f- the few full-figured um uh artists in k-pop amazing yeah which is very rare because a lot of k-pop idols are pressured to be very thick uh thick thin and that's part of sort of korean culture as well in korean society and she has bucked that trend and at first she got you know a lot of uh criticism and bullying when she first debuted but now she's actually become like one of the it girls of of the k-pop industry after just like owning her her um her image and her persona and she's really popular i love her and she's great she just joined instagram too so yeah I, anyways hasa is great you should listen to her collaboration with dua lipa physical and uh check out some of her songs too because she's so good yay. yay yay all right anya uh what is your really like this week um i apologize because i think my really like every week is just gonna be a 24 <laughs> because as I mentioned the other week, my roommate and I are doing a marathon of all of A24's films. Um, and we are up to film number nine. And uh, But this time, instead of just saying in general, I like A24, I'm going to say one other movie that I've liked the most so far in a marathon. Um, and all the movies have been new to me so far. Um, we haven't gotten to the A24 movies that I've seen yet. So all new movies, which is exciting. But uh, last night we watched Locke which has been my absolute favorite so far. And have you guys seen this movie with Tom Hardy? Oh. No, oh. but that's the one where he's in a car the entire time, right? Yeah, so the movie, the movie's an hour and a half, and it takes place in real time. And the entire movie uh, is set within this car that Tom Hardy's driving. He's the only actor ever seen on screen. Uh, and the, rather, the other actors are all voice a- voiceovers, and it's all phone calls that he takes in the car. Um, and you have people like Andrew Scott, Ruth Wilson, Olivia Coleman, Tom Holland... Like, good names, but they're only voicing this film. Yep, Tom Holland. Olivia Colvin, Hot Priest. Hell yeah, it's a good cast. Um, And so it takes place over an hour and a half where Tom Tom Hardy is driving to London uh, for a reason that I will not give away. Um, Wait, hold on. Sorry. Is Tom Holland, like, four in that movie? Wait, (laughs) when did this movie come out? Uh, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. Oh, okay. So he was, like... He was a teenager, but still. Yeah, okay. Oh, he pl- my he apologies. Tom- he plays Tom Hardy's son, um, and they have a couple of phone calls. Uh, yeah. um, but the really beautiful thing about this film is that it's so simple in its in its premise and also in its plot. Like, they could have easily tried to make it a more exciting plot where, like, Tom Hardy plays some sort of criminal and he's racing to, like, do a heist or commit a crime and... The phone calls are all very intense for that reason, but it's not that. The phone calls are all very personal, and there is an intensity to the film, but it's a very personal intensity because of what the plot actually is. Um, And it's so simple, 
but it's so engaging. You would think that you might get bored, but I was not bored for one minute of this film, and I could watch Tom Hardy just drive a car and take phone calls for longer than an hour and a half. Um, it is a phenomenal performance by Tom Hardy, who essentially carries the entire film. Um, and it's just a really beautiful, uh, engaging film, and I really liked it. It's definitely been my favorite A24 film that we've watched so far. Um, I'm doing a ranked list on, on Letterboxd, but I'm not ranking the A24 films I've already seen, because I'm going to, we're going to rewatch all the ones we've seen already, and I will reassess them upon this marathon and rank them. So Ooh, how exciting. But I, I still, I still imagine movies like Midsummer and the Lobster will be pretty high for me, but I'm definitely going to, we'll reassess once we get to them. But so far, Locke has been my favorite. Ooh. Whenever I've seen any stuff for that movie, I always thought, yeah, it's like he's a he's a hitman on his way to his next hit or right. something like that. Because that's what he all of the Tom Hardy's movies sort of you kind would of think. are. I will just say, like, um, to give you an idea, um, there there are two kind of main plots happening in the movie, and one of them is that um, Tom Hardy's character has a big project at work coming up like the very next morning, um, and his work is just in construction. It's like cement pouring to build foundations for buildings. So Not it's like something the mafia. Right. So it's nothing interesting. Like, yeah. So you're like, it's again, very simple, very humble, but still very riveting. Cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So my really like for this week is uh, the mask of Zorro. Which I rewatched after it uh, came on Netflix recently. I actually watched it twice this week because um, I was in the mood to watch the big the swashbuckler, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid, uh, around like mid last week. And then my friends and I in New York decided to hold a Netflix viewing party through the sort of that new app that's just like Netflix Party, I think that's what it's called. And uh, we, I had earlier been advocating for Mask of Zorro, and uh, I was like, I'm willing to watch it again. So I watched it twice this week, and it holds up both times. Uh, speaking of movies that are just so reminiscent of old serials and westerns, God, Mask of Zorro is so good, guys. Like, it's just top to bottom. Good movie. Everyone is so hot in it. Uh, Antonio Banderas is hot, Catherine Zeta-Jones is hot, Anthony Hopkins is hot, everyone's hot, and it's great, and it's so sexy, and every set piece is just big, and uh, done, like, with these huge, elaborate stunts that would make Buster Keaton, like, staying back a little bit, and uh, it's just, it's so fun, it's such, you know, it's one of those movies, um, that they don't really make them like that anymore. Those 90s action swashbucklers that go all in with the explosions and the, the and the stunts. And it feels just so much of that time and yet so timeless because of how fun it is and how fun it's having with it. How much the cast is, uh, is having fun. Um, it's great. And yes, it is Batman Beyond. And, uh, <laughs> and it's got a great training montage. Uh, but oh god, I love this movie, guys. And I have I haven't seen it since I was a kid. And uh, watching it again, it just holds up so well. And uh, yeah, I I now get all of the uh, the sexual jokes now, so that's made it even better. <laughs> so yeah, Mask of Zorro, uh, directed by Martin Campbell. And um, I, uh, we when we were watching this, I realized that there was a sequel that I had totally forgotten about, The Legend of Zorro. And um, no one's 
I won't watch that movie. Yep. And it's better forgotten. But as we were watching it, we were uh, fan casting what a fun modern remake or revival of this movie would be. Uh, and, you know, Antonio Banderas as the older Zorro, of course. Uh, a, a couple of fun suggestions that were put out were Oscar Isaac for the young Zorro. Um, Diego Luna. Uh, but it'd probably have to be a teenager at this point because at this at the age that um, that the gap that there is between Mask of Zorro and now, he'd be like in his twenties, so none of those actors would really apply. But I do oh, have a good. Well, you're talking about like a straight seek, a straight legacy sequel. Yeah, like a legacy sequel, like, like a revival. Universe. Yeah, so you'd have to find someone pretty young. I don't know anyone young enough to do that. Just like that guy from Teen Wolf, but he's not that great. <laughs> Um, but I have my suggestion for Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, who's actually, who actually would be um, ethnically sort of accurate, not quite, but Anna de Armas, who is fantastic and would be perfect. But uh, yeah, that's just a massive zero. It's been on my mind. It's great. Great movie. They don't make them like that anymore. It's a, it's a great film. I completely agree. It's like, it's up there with like the Three Musketeers, Robin Hood for me. It's like that sort of like earnest, swashbuckling 90s adventure, which... They're so good. They really are just so fun. Yeah. And you get lost in them. Like, it's so easy to get swept up in the adventure. Truly. So I'm so glad you revisited it and you still love it. Um, that makes me very happy to hear. And that is our episode for the week. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts on movies or television shows you're watching during quarantine, we hope you're all holding up well, staying healthy, staying sane. Um, and if you have any thoughts on the movies that we watched this week or what we're really liking from the mask of zorro uh to do a leap of new album to lock or any other film that you guys have seen during the quarantine come chat with us about those and where can they do that willoughby you can find us on facebook if you search for us there we're also on twitter at falcon podcast uh you can uh, go to our blog at millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com you can rate review and subscribe to us on itunes google play and soundcloud and where can they find you guys on the internet you can find me at htrendbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.